Welcome, everyone, to Season 2, Episode 54 of the Premiere Pod. I am your host, Yash Bika. Join with me is my co-host, Tyler Chan. In this episode, yet again, we have some breaking news. Marco Silva, the manager of Everton, has just been sacked this Thursday. Um, oddly enough, the past two Thursdays we've recorded, Unai Emery has been sacked by Arsenal, and then Mauricio Pochettino was sacked by Tottenham. So now, the third set, third Thursday in a row... Marco Silva is now out as Everton manager. He lost 2-1 against Leicester City and also lost in the Merseyside Derby 5-2. Um, pretty much he's in 18th or 17th, 18th place in the Premier League right now with 14 points and it's not looking too good for his Everton squad, especially a squad that coming in, everyone everyone kind of thought that this could be the year that you know, Everton could probably challenge for maybe 6th, 7th, or 8th place, surely in the top half. No one expected them to be in a relegation battle at this point of the season, and it has been a terrible run of fortune for Marco Silva and his squad. Players have been underperforming, um, just bad results left and right, haven't been able to pick up a win, and the writing was kind of on the wall after the past two games. But uh, Tyler, initial reaction to Silva getting sacked? I think our podcast is cursed for Premier League managers is what I'm figuring <laughs> out. Like three weeks in a row, man. One one is a fluke, two is a coincidence, and then three is fact, man. That's basically what's, <laughs> what's happening here. But I do have to credit our, uh, Everton for not firing Marco Silva till after the Merseyside Derby. I'm very thankful that they did that. So oh. Liverpool could win 5-2. <laughs> I was wondering why they still had him. I was like... Mate, it's almost humiliation at this point after the first half. It was 4-1. And then, oh, technically 4-2, but I was like, mate, this is questionable. And even Marco Silva had had it on his his face most of the game. And he had no reaction to anything. Yeah, he looks so he looks so dead inside. Like mm-hmm. you could just look at his eyes and he just looked like a guy that was defeated. It was like he he knew it was coming. And I feel like we all knew it was coming. Even Last week on the podcast, we were kind of mentioning is like, man, if Marco Silva is not fired, it's like, what is Everton doing? And they actually fired him. But ironically enough, with Marco Silva gone, right before he left, Richarlison got a new contract until 2024. Mm-hmm. And usually yeah. wherever Marco Silva goes, he brings Richarlison with him. But now with Richarlison on the new contract, he's going to be worth way more. So I don't know if wherever Marco Silva goes, they can afford him because I don't know if any team is going to yeah. want him too. So if he does go yeah, to a club, seemed- it'd be like a smaller club. Yeah. And, and you know, it's funny with Marco Silva. Cause I remember when he first came into the Premier league and he managed whole city, it was that 2016, 2017 season he came in and midway through the season for whole city. And he was doing pretty well, but ultimately couldn't keep them up. Then the next season he got hired by Watford and he was doing fairly decent. Then he just ultimately got sacked because his eyes were turned towards Everton and once he got the Everton job, he just really hasn't fulfilled the potential that was once there with the squad and with him. Because I remember when he came into the Premier League, everyone was adored by him. Not, I wouldn't say, I, I don't think adored is the best word. He wasn't like Jose Mourinho adored. But a lot of people were like, okay, this guy could be an up-and-coming manager. And you never know if he does well at Everton, he could do well at maybe even a bigger job. Um, but ultimately, he could not get the results to fall his way and he ended up getting sacked. But now... Everton need to look for a new manager. And some of the reports I've been hearing was maybe they might look to hire David Moyes again. Oh my gosh. Uh, that was just one name thrown out there, but it seems like they have a 
someone in mind. I can't remember the name completely, but it's a manager from the Chinese um, soccer league. I believe his name is like Vito Pereira, I think is the manager's name. Um, but it seems like they're going that route. And it just seems like the person they're trying to get is not a short-term fix. It seems like they're trying to find a long-term solution, maybe a longer-term manager. Um, because another person that was out there, a lot of pundits were saying, was maybe Sam Allardyce, a guy that's been historically known to keep teams in the Premier League by just scrapping away at results. And they'd gone that route before, and it didn't go too well for them in the at the future. I mean, it worked well in the short term, but in the long term, it ended up fall, like not coming, not falling into fruition. But I like the idea that Everton's trying to go for a longer term solution rather than trying to find a guy that can just, you know, set up shop and get short term results. Mm-hmm. And this is one of the first times I hear of a Premier League team going for someone from the Chinese League. Usually Chinese League is like a void. You just chuck someone in there and it's like you don't really see them again. <laughs> but in my opinion it wouldn't be too bad of an idea for Everton to get Big Sam in the meanwhile because if they can't get that long-term manager and they have to settle with someone I would pick Big Sam because he has gotten the results from several clubs in the past and right now Everton are in the relegation zone something that we were not expecting I don't think anyone was expecting and with a team like this with Moise Keane, Sigurdsson, Richarlison, Lucas Dean like you can just go down Bernard. the list yeah, Bernard's like, why is this team in the relegation zone? Like, clearly, it makes sense. Have, and you yeah, have, you like, Mina. yeah, exactly. Like, we just physically list like the whole team. It's like, this is a very underperforming team. So, and, that, it, mm-hmm. I, and I say no, no, Sam Allardyce, because as we just mentioned, it's not like this team doesn't have any good talent. This team, basically, they're starting 11, is mid table starting 11. Even there's some guys that could possibly, you know, overperform that level, but this is a mid table team. That's why I think, you know, if they find a good manager, they could potentially, you know, start racking up some results, picking up some wins the right way rather than getting a guy like Sam Allardyce that is just going to set up shop and hack away and just basically get Everton to survival. Because with the squad they have and the ambitions Everton has had with their stadium expansion and the way they kind of promote themselves and want to be one of the big boys of the Premier League, if they go with Sam Allardyce again, it just kind of shows that Everton truly aren't that big club that they kind of make themselves out to be. Hmm. That's, a, that's a good point. But also at the same time, if they really want that big push to get more than just eighth place every season, I feel like they need that big name manager to come in and they have to do something crazy. I feel like they have to do something like bring in like Pochettino, like something, something like that, like something crazy just out of left field. Because right now, Everton is that team that like we both even mentioned a few times where it's like it's all those players from teams that were kind of outcasts it's like Theo Walcott, got Andre Gomez. Yeah, even Yerry Mina at some like yeah, some Yerry Mina. Matt Delafeo at one point too. Mm-hmm. So it's like all these players and like it's kind of showing. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of like why there was there's a reason why these big clubs didn't want them anymore. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and it's basically why they're also in 18th place. So it's a little bit of both the manager <laughs> and the players. But if they have one of those big name managers like Pochettino, which is a little crazy, but I mean, that could be the key to making them maybe one of those top seven teams. You never know. One I mean, that that would be a dream hire. I don't I don't think that's very realistic, but that would, could be a, a Everton's fans dreams. But, you know, it, it's just a mess of a situation at Everton. We're going to obviously hopefully Everton have a plan in place to maybe 
get a manager in. It seems like they're making the deals happen. Um, and hopefully that manager will be announced soon. I don't know if it'll happen before this weekend's games, but that is something to watch out for. You know, Marco Silva ultimately getting the sack at Everton, but we have to move on from them. Um, probably another manager that's an interim manager that took over for Unai Emery, Freddie Lundberg, um, has not gone swell. He's not had the Ole magic that Ole Gunnar Solskjaer had when he took over as interim manager for Manchester United. Arsenal drew against Norwich City 2-2 and today lost to Brighton at home 2-1. Freddie Lundberg has not had a great run of form as the Arsenal caretaker manager. Has started Xhaka in both games, which is very surprising. Nicolas Pepe has been on the bench as well. Mesut Ozil has started and he has started the duo of Lacazette and Aubameyang in both of those games. But again, kind of the defensive core and that... um, you know, that base or that spine that we kind of hoped Arsenal would have, it is showing that they just don't have that. And that's why they're leaking so many goals. And there's no sense of uh, urgency from the team, as I would say. Mm-hmm. And also <laughs> what I'm seeing is that Arsenal, Freddie Lundberg, of course, being just chucked into this manager position, he doesn't know what his best starting 11 is. And we kind of saw that with him starting Sokran Mustafi in the first game against Norwich, which is... A name we haven't heard for quite a while, mm-hmm. and he's one of those players that just chucked into the void, and now he just came back from the depths, just all of a sudden, <laughs> and we're wondering why he's still here. <laughs> but like little things like that. But at the same time, also Jaka, that was a big name that I did not expect to ever see in a starting eleven, let alone even the bench. Yeah, I was thinking he is for sure gone, and sure enough, now he's back in the starting eleven for two games. Yeah. It- Two consecutive games. It, 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 I feel like Lundberg, you know, every time Emery, a lot of people were questioning why he was playing certain players, you know, in the starting 11. I feel like Lundberg is kind of having that same problem. I feel like a lot of like just me, not even an Arsenal fan, I'm just really questioning his lineup choices. Like, why do you still have Granit Xhaka in your starting 11? Mm-hmm. It's like, is there something in training that we're just not seeing or is there something <laughs> behind the scenes? Is like, is Xhaka just actually insane, but just on the pitch and a Premier League game, he just turns down. <laughs> like, it's just, what, like, what's happening? And also, why is Mesut Ozil playing as, like, a winger instead of just straight in the middle, like, straight central? Mm-hmm. I know Joseph Willock is one of those up-and-coming players, but come on. You could have you could have had, like, Mesut Ozil in the middle and then maybe throwing up Pepe on the side as a winger instead because Mesut Ozil, is, he can make things happen. He can create chances out of nothing. And if you have him right in the middle where everyone can just feed to him, that could be one thing, but I don't know. It's a little questionable by Freddie Lundberg for both starting 11s for me. And I mean, we have to question him because the results kind of show he got a, a draw against a team that's in the relegation zone. And then he lost to a team that is lower, lower of the table. So. Yeah. Lower half of the table at home. Yep. At home too. And, you know, we kind of talked about the Unai Emery tenure at Arsenal, that the toxicity inside the Emirates stadium was always prevalent. I was watching this game a little bit. And after the whistle was blown, I mean, there was just a string of boos going by the Arsenal fans. Justfully so. I mean, you lose to Brighton at home. That's unacceptable as, as Arsenal football club. But it seems like that toxic is toxicity is still there. And, 
it it kind of shocks me because I remember when Ole Gunnar Solskjaer took over as manager. I mean, the players, I mean, the players, fans, the coaching staff, I mean, everyone felt a boost once Jose Mourinho was sacked and Ole Gunnar Solskjaer took over. And we saw that when he won like eight games in a row. But with Lundberg, we're not kind of we're not seeing that same reaction, I feel like, from the players and maybe from the coaching staff and from the fans. It seems like there's still that that weird animosity from each like each you know core of the Arsenal football club I mean it just I I don't know I it I don't know Tyler do you know how to explain that I mean I I just don't get how that these two situations they seem signed they seem kind of similar but in the end they've just come off and they've just gone off in different ways I think it has to do with like team chemistry and morale because with Lundberg in we haven't really seen a difference in terms of how players react on the field because you know when you see Emery uh, managing Arsenal, it would always be whenever you describe an Arsenal player, it'd always be like, "Well, that player, like Aubameyang, he doesn't really look he's, like he's playing for the team; he's just playing for the paycheck." And with Emery out and Lundberg in, I still feel like we're kind of seeing like the same thing, like where the team there's not really that team chemistry that you'd see with like that that cohesiveness and that just brotherhood that you'd see with like say a Liverpool squad or even like the United squad right now, where it's like, they're like, they're aiming for a goal. It seems like everyone in Arsenal right now is like, they're not really like, they wouldn't really hang out with each other. They wouldn't really have like that kind of that morale and that, that kind of chemistry. Yeah. And I think that's what's going on. But at the same time, I'm like, why? <laughs> there, was, there was a point. There was a point made by the NBC pundits. They said that they felt like Arsenal was a team of really talented individuals, but not a team. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's just like 11 players, but yeah, just all doing their own thing. And you kind of see that because <laughs> like, there's not really much of that team chemistry, even on the pitch in terms of like just the passing. Like, you don't see that old style, like one touch pinging around and then leading up to a goal. Like I remember back in the days, you would see an Arsenal goal set up with like Jack Wilshere and oh, yeah. like Oliver Giroud. That against Norwich, like, against Norwich oddly like enough. Like that goal, like even Justin and I immediately knew what goal we we're talking about. Like that, like that kind of thing. You don't really see that anymore of this kind of Arsenal squad. It's just that that fire is just kind of gone. And I think mm-hmm. that what needs to be ignited at Arsenal. And someone who can do that is definitely like a manager. But right now, it doesn't look like Lundberg is doing that. Yeah. And, you know, they, they also brought up the point, and I, I got to bring this up too. When you sack a manager, you hope that the board had in mind a replacement ready to go. We saw that with Tottenham. They didn't just fire Pochettino just to fire him. They had Jose Mourinho lined up and offered him a contract and got it done. With Arsenal, it almost seems like they were putting all their eggs into the basket of Freddie Lundberg and hoping that he would work out, sort of like Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, and hoping that he would go on this miraculous run. And he hasn't. And these these are two games where he kind of if I'm just being honest, just looks totally out of his wits. And it just looks like the job is just too big for him um, because there's just too many problems going on. And I feel like Arsenal right now need a high quality manager, a manager that will just get in there, has a personality, will put players straight and will get players out that don't necessarily are part of the Arsenal football culture. But it seems like the board had no one in mind to have that manager role taken over. I mean, they probably just wanted Freddie Lundberg to take it, but um, you know, if I'm that Arsenal board, I mean, they've, they've got a lot of questions are being asked on them. And unfortunately, I don't see them making a the right move because we've seen that they, 
historically speaking, they've not been the best board out of the Premier League clubs. And right now, even us trying to think about how Arsenal can really bounce back, you feel like Arsenal wants to hit the reset button if there is one, or they're going to have to just rebuild. But Premier League soccer, it doesn't really work that way. It's not like NFL or NBA where you can just tank and then just go for the draft and then, you know, tank for two no. and then <laughs> pick them up. Really, it's up to you have these assets on your team, these players, and it's up to you to decide whether or not you keep them or you sell them. And, you know, unfortunately, if a player yep. devalues, then the whole team devalues and you have to just you're kind of stuck with what you got. Yeah, I think with um, they could kind of follow the Man United way. And I'm not even saying the United way is the correct way to do it. But Manchester United this summer, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer and the board made a plan that they're just going to culturally reboot this team. And that meant getting rid of a lot of the players that necessarily weren't part of the DNA of the club and didn't really exemplify what the historic, what it means to play for the badge. I know a lot of people like to say that. I feel like Arsenal need to kind of follow that same route of maybe getting rid of these players that they've just kind of holding on to or these panic buys they've bought. I'm talking about like David Luiz, Socrates, like these older guys that they just kind of bought to hopefully like, you know, paper over the cracks. I feel like they just really need to just reboot the entire thing. And for them, it's unfortunate because, you know, Max Allegri, you know, the former Juventus coach has said that he doesn't want to take over a team mid-season. Pochettino, highly unlikely that he'll probably go to Arsenal. I mean, considering how much he's adored at Tottenham and, you know, whatever, but that could still be a possibility. Um, but you know, the managers, there's not that many managers you can hire in season. I know Liverpool got really lucky with Klopp, but it seems like if they, if Arsenal need to find the best manager, they may need to just wait till the summertime, but problems still going on with Arsenal. Uh, we have to move on. We're going to talk about Manchester United versus Tottenham United, picking up a huge two, one win at home. Jose's return to old Trafford was spoiled by Marcus Rashford scoring a brace, uh, penalty kick and I um and basically hitting a very hard shot to the near post that Gazaniga should have probably saved mm-hmm. if we're being totally honest but in this game we saw uh, Scott McTominay return to the midfield which helped Fred so much because Fred played so so well in this game um, Fred and McTominay in the midfield played so well and then we saw Marcus Rashford basically take over as the main attacker and now with nine goals he's not in the golden boot race but he's put himself up there so this is a Huge news for Manchester United fans because Marcus Rashford is starting to consistently put the ball in the back of the net. And that was the biggest question mark going into the season, whether him or Martial would be able to carry on that mantle of scoring goals. And it seems like Rashford has finally been able to pick up that uh, scoring mantle. And I was a little confused <laughs> when we were going into the season at the very beginning when and also like midway through the first half of the season where Marcus Rashford was struggling to score. He would be missing sitters. He still kind of does. But, I mean, I've watched him throughout the seasons now for like the past four seasons now. And there have been games, especially one game in particular against Liverpool, where he was able to just rip shots. He's able to just like just rip bangers. And I don't know why he just doesn't do that more, like more. Because you see of Dan James in this game, every opportunity he had to shoot, he he took the shot. And even if the shot wasn't the most powerful or the most accurate, he still take it. And I feel like if Marcus Rashford had that kind of mentality where it's like just shoot from wherever, like Dan James, I feel like with his with his propensity to 
be able to put as much power as he can into like he's a near post good shot. technique. He has good technique. He has better technique than Dan James. And we saw that in the first goal with Gazaniga just letting it slip through the near post. Little things like that. If you don't, you know, <laughs> as you hear in FIFA, if you don't buy a ticket to the lotto, <laughs> you're not going to win. So I feel like Marcus Rashford, if he just took a little bit more shots, even if they're a little crazy, like they, yeah, because then you can get, you know, you never know if the keeper can't handle it. That gets parried out, and then another attacker could get a chance. You know, I, I do, I definitely agree. Just be a little bit more aggressive and shoot. Mm-hmm. And he definitely did that this game because there are several occasions where he also hit the hit the crossbar. Yeah, I saw hit, that hit, shot where he just ripped it, and he would force a, a diving save out of Gazaniga, and that happened on several occasions this game. This is one of those games where Marcus Rashford he was like on a mission, and he scored yeah. a penalty. Yep. That's a that's a huge thing. They Manchester United <laughs> scored a penalty. <laughs> I know. No, when they were when they were lining up for that penalty tick, I kid you not, I was so nervous that I didn't want to look because I was like, oh my gosh, it's something bad's gonna happen. They're not gonna score, they're not gonna score. But he put it in, um, thankfully. But um I didn't know this, but in the during the game, um the announcers kind of said that there were reports that when Jose Mourinho was manager, him and Marcus Rashford didn't see eye to eye all the time. And I feel like that kind of played in a part of Rashford basically playing, like putting on um, like this extra level that he had of just taking players on and just shooting from anywhere just to kind of prove a point to Jose Mourinho. And Jose Mourinho famously said that he thinks Rashford is better played on the left rather than as a, a lone striker. And I can kind of agree with that because one of Marcus Rashford's best tendencies is that he loves to cut on his right foot and just hit it. I mean, just absolutely rip a shot. And then he's so good. And when he's on the wing to just, you know, beat an opponent or nutmeg someone real quickly and just run down the wings and do a couple skill moves and cross it in. So I definitely think the left left side of the midfield is definitely his best position um, going forward because he just can do so much more on that left wing rather than being as that lone striker um, compared to a Tammy Abraham who has sort of the physique and that type of mindset to play as the lone striker. Mm-hmm. And also, Marcus Rashford can beat a player on the dribble. Like mm-hmm. he has, he has those five star skills. <laughs> like he actually does. Oh, yeah, no, I know, <laughs> I know, I definitely know. Um, I didn't expect that, but but you know, can we also talk about Delhi Ali's? Yeah, goal? I was that gonna was, say that was insane. <laughs> I was gonna say that was goal like, was um, that goal was a a bit of absolute quality. If I was gonna say, I mean, that goal was. Amazing. It kind of reminded me of, you know, we spoke about this goal before, but his, I mean, debut campaign in the Premier League when he hit that goal against Crystal Palace, just juggled it yeah, up in the thinking, air. Yep. He's so good at that. I, I just don't know. Like, that's just pure technique and just practice and repetitions and practice. But that was an outstanding goal. He basically, if for those who didn't see it, he flicked it. He, a ball was coming from just directly above him. He flicked it from directly in front of him behind him like with two players on both sides of him like he flicked it right behind him like a reverse rainbow oh, it was <laughs> and so... then on the opposite end when he caught it he just volleyed it in yeah and i was like what hit the side of the net too yeah it was literally the crystal palace goal redone but just inside the box mm-hmm. with more tight angles i was like how did he do that literally deli ali is just a reborn man under, under Jose Mourinho, and this is we thought he was the player that was going to be outcasted. But yeah. it turns out it is Christian Eriksen. <laughs> yeah, I was going to mention that Christian like. Eriksen has yet to sign a another deal with Tottenham, and his deal is going to expire in the summer. So that leaves Tottenham and the board and Jose Mourinho a big question mark because Eriksen has come off the bench, I believe, in all the games that Mourinho has managed in the Premier League. Um, they can either 
have a club sign him in January or he basically signs a free contract to go play somewhere else and Tottenham don't get anything off of him. And with Daniel Levy, it seems like considering how how stingy he can be, I feel like that will probably lead him to selling him in January. But also at the same time, he's so stingy. I wouldn't be surprised if they just can't get a deal going, and then you see your, you see Tottenham <laughs> on January thirty first. It's like, oh shoot, can't sell him, and then the, he just goes for free <laughs> in the summer. That'd be <laughs> that'd be a big rip. That's definitely a seventy million pound player that can you can just sell to anyone that has the money. But I don't know Daniel Daniel Levy if he's gonna let that happen. So. Because yeah. it's it seems like even when he does play, it doesn't seem like he really affects games right now. Because he just, I I mean, I don't want to say it this way, but it just seems like he doesn't care to play for the club right it, now. I agree with that too, and I I think he knows that he's leaving. I think everyone kind of can see that, but it's just like mm-hmm. where would he go? And also, it's like at the same time, if he goes for free, would you just play him as much as you can just to get the most out of him and and like kind of risk like. You know, mm-hmm. it's kind of bad to say, but like even risk fitness and injury if like, if you know you're you're not gonna have them at the end of the season, you think that's gonna happen? Mm-hmm. I feel like uh, I feel like a guy like him. I don't, I don't I don't even know because I don't even know too much about his character. But we saw with Aaron Ramsey when he signed his free contract with Juventus, he still gave his all for Arsenal. I don't think that Christian Eriksen would be that same type of player because it's not like he grew up, you know, a boyhood guy just growing up in the Arsenal Academy. I mean, this guy like was bought from Tottenham and he's given a lot for Tottenham, but I could feel like for a player like that, when he didn't get his chance to move on and move on to different dreams and he was basically stuck at Tottenham because of his contract. I don't know. I feel like he's kind of lost his way with the club and I feel like he, he could leave, but if he did leave, I know we mentioned this, where he, where could he go? Where do you actually think he could go if he does leave? I feel like Real Madrid, one of those teams that really needs a creative spark and Real Madrid right now they're using James Rodriguez but I'm like eh. yeah he's kind of an outcast <laughs> at this outcast. point and then of course Tony Cruz is a little deeper has but. yep Hazard got injured too Oof. but they got Rodrigo yeah <laughs> <laughs> new boy yeah Real Madrid, Real Madrid definitely have the money and they it, Christian Eriksen that was his preferred move was to go to Real Madrid but that is a situation to watch out for. Um, the defensive problems are still there for Tottenham. Um, in this game, they just sat back a lot of a lot of the game, but didn't really look too good um, going forward. Because I think other than that Deli Ali chance, there was not really another chance where I felt like actually felt like Tottenham were going to score. Or actually scared of Tottenham. Um, it just was not the game plan. Just did not work well for Mourinho, which is surprising to say. Because anytime you think of a Mourinho team, you think of his game plan always working to perfection, but. Seems like he still has a lot of kinks to work out with that Tottenham squad. Mm-hmm. And he knows his defense is not as sound as he's typically used to. Because even in this game, you saw Davidson Sanchez. I'm, what is happening with Davidson Sanchez? He is looking more mediocre by the game. And then also mm-hmm. the penalty that Musa Zizoko gave away. I was thinking, I was like, that was a little sloppy by him. But it's just little things like that. I'm like, man, Tottenham, they used to be such a pretty decent defensive team like a team where it's like pretty reliable where it's like all right they're a team where if they need a clean sheet they can probably figure out a way to get it and another Jose Mourinho like using these same players that were able to get these results literally two three seasons ago they're struggling and usually when you see Jose Mourinho against a big team he does like to park the bus (laughs) (laughs) and I think the reason why I kind of fell through a little bit this game is because like Marcus Rashford scored early 
So mm-hmm. yeah, it, it broke the it broke his like game plan if a player like that goes that early in the game. Um, but moving on, Liverpool. Obviously, we have to mention them on top of the league. Just been on fire, back to back wins um, from the weekend and in the midweek. They even did it with a rotated squad, a completely rotated squad with Firmino and Salah not even playing in the Everton game. Yet Shakiri came in and scored. Mane was on fire. Um, Wijnaldum scoring. I mean, they have such a deep squad. And even with the Fabinho in- injury, they're finding a way to rotate everyone around. Van Dyke got a brace, I believe. Wasn't it against Bright- mm-hmm. Brighton? He got a brace. I mean, everywhere you look, that squad is just so strong and so, you know, structured i mean everywhere you look it's just top to bottom that squad is a plus quality everywhere you see mm-hmm. but i do have to mention it was against an everton team that was in the relegation or now in the relegation zone so hey, like we have to see hey, at the end of the day three points are three points that's true three points are three points and also this is now liverpool's longest unbeaten run in this era premier league era with 30 surely games. they have to win it now right they have to, like they, they better win it oh my gosh if they don't win it, I'm gonna be so upset. Yeah, it just seems like Liverpool, even with City, when you play City with put put City with them, like Liverpool this season have just been on another level. Mm-hmm. I mean, we can go on and on talking about them, but they just keep on winning. And, and that that that's a great thing about them. But another team that's been that's been on the winning streak is Leicester City. Beat Everton 2-1 and have beat Watford 2-0. Vardy again scoring. Um this Leicester team is not quitting. They just keep on winning. And also they're getting results. Like, kind of by luck at the same time. Like, mm-hmm. but they kind of make their own luck where it's like with that Everton game when it was Leicester versus Everton, that last goal, it was just kind of like a shot shot in the dark. He, you know, Brandon Rogers threw in Iannaccio, a player who hasn't scored in 13 months, a player that's just been struggling throughout the Premier League seasons, like mm-hmm. seasons. He just threw him into this game, and sure enough, he is the one who gets the game winning goal. And VAR, initially the goal was counted as offside, but VAR came back in, say, the 93rd minute and count and allowed the goal. And sure enough, Everton, or Everton lost. Marco Silva, for sure, that game. He, he kind of knew it was impending doom was coming, and then Liverpool was just kind of like <laughs> bearing icing it even on the cake. The yeah, icing on the cake right there. <laughs> but with this Leicester squad, it's just a little something special about them. And even in the second game this midweek, when Leicester played, they didn't have Ben Chilwell in, which was unfortunate for my fantasy team. But also, <laughs> they were still able to get the result against a Watford team that is starting think, to pick up some form. But I think they, they have the Leicester City has the best defensive record in the Premier League. They do, which is also surprising because I'm like, what? <laughs> yeah, they they are just doing a fantastic job. Brendan Rodgers, kudos to him. We keep saying kudos. I mean, he deserves it all. Mm-hmm. Um, now going on to Chelsea. Chelsea actually lost to West Ham in the weekend, and then they bounced back and beat Villa 2-1. Tammy Abraham scoring a goal over his former team. It seems like Chelsea have not bottomed out, but they've kind of, you know, we're seeing the ebbs and flows of that young team and that team that really couldn't add any add anybody from the summer window. We're just kind of seeing them ride the ebbs and flows. And, you know, Frank Lampard has been doing a good job there. But the two teams I really wanted to point out during – this podcast was Southampton. They got back-to-back Premier League wins, which is huge for them in the relegation battle. And Crystal Palace getting back-to-back wins against Burnley away and hosting Bournemouth. They now sit in seventh place, a point above Manchester United. Yeah, and it's little things like that where if a team just goes on a very short burst of a streak, 
like say Southampton did this past week, you can see them jump out of the relegation zone. Although they're only 17th right now. That's it's, huge. That's considering huge. They, they did lose 9-1. Was it 9-1? Nine, yeah, yeah, nine, yeah. No, 9-0. Nine 9-0. Zero. Nine <laughs> zero. They didn't even score a goal. Yeah, they didn't score a goal. But it's like little things like that where if you can just get some kind of momentum going, that could propel you out of the relegation zone and maybe back into mid-table to safety. Because right now, there are no teams really that are completely toast in terms of for sure 100% going to relegation yeah. to the Empire Champ the next season. So when you look at Watford, this is a team that initially we thought if without any momentum, they'd be stuck in the relegation zone. But sure enough, if you see a team like Southampton, a couple of wins, that's all you kind of need to really get yourself out of the, of the relegation zone, to kind of propel you back into safety in the mid-table. So if a team like, say, Watford, Everton, or Norwich, if they can get some momentum going where they can just string together a few wins, although it doesn't seem like a lot, for these teams, that's some big points. Say say three wins in a row, that's nine points, and that can just propel you maybe three or four places at least. So if teams can start picking up momentum, then I believe this is a good period the Christmas period yeah. to really get it, it's going to be fun. Yeah, as you yeah. mentioned, Christmas period. I mean, we're going to see so many teams drop back into the relegation battle, go up in the you know go up the rankings. It's going to be pretty fun to watch because this whole season, I feel like it's just been you know all of a sudden two teams lose on the on the trot. Oh, two teams have risen up, two teams have fallen off. It, it's been a fun race to watch. Sort of the who gets into the top half, who drops to the bottom half, who drops to the relegation battle, who drops into the top six. I mean, it's a it's a pretty fun watch to see. Um, and we'll definitely pay attention to that during the Christmas break. But uh, quickly mentioning Manchester City, they drew actually 2-2 to Newcastle United and they beat Thrash Burnley 4-1. Um, City need to start winning games if they want to keep up with Liverpool and they can't afford to drop any more points in this season. Um, now, going on to previewing the games for this coming weekend, we have Everton versus Chelsea. Everton obviously still without a full-time manager right now. It's going to be interesting to see how this team bounces back they are playing at home they are hosting Chelsea this is a huge match for the players and the fans I mean if the players don't get up for this game especially seeing their manager getting sacked I mean this team could potentially be doomed I think because of the manager getting sacked and it being at home I feel like this could give Everton enough energy to squeeze out a 1-1 draw against Chelsea Ooh, I for me, when I see a team like Chelsea, a team that's usually top six, when they see blood in the water, I think they usually go all in and they go. They see vulnerability and they just go and attack it. And right now, Everton are a very vulnerable team. They're a team that are not very structured right now. They literally have no manager and they're just in a bad run of form with not really much momentum coming out and really changing that. So I think Chelsea are actually going to go to Goodison Park and win 2-0. Bold claim right there. Bold claim. I, I expect a yeah. new I expect a new manager bounce. We didn't see that with Arsenal. I see it with Everton. Speaking of Arsenal, West Ham has a coach that could potentially be on the hot seat as well. Manuel Pellegrini. His seat is warming up a little bit too. Host hosting Arsenal and Freddie Lundberg's side. <sighs> this game is hard to predict because I honestly don't know what to say because both teams have been so disappointing this season. Um, 
I would say since it's at home, I would probably give West Ham a little bit of an edge if there was one, but I really don't even see that there's an edge because both teams have been really bad. Mm. I'm going to say 1-1. Ah, very safe answer. <laughs> but I will also agree with that because Pellegrini, he he pulled something out of his back pocket just out of nowhere. just gets that 1-0 victory against Chelsea. That that was weird. saved his job. He saved his job for at least a few more weeks because that yeah that was crazy. And Pellegrini for sure, he was definitely on the hot seat, and then he threw some ice on there of Chelsea win. But against Arsenal, both teams are kind of struggling for sure, and I think it'll be a two-two draw because both Ooh, teams do have scoring. yeah high kind of high scoring, but also at the same time, both defenses they just leak goals. Yeah, they're not the good, they're not the best defensive teams. Mm-hmm. And then finally. Biggest game of the weekend. We got the Manchester Derby. It's going to be on Saturday, 12 o'clock U.S. time. Huge match. It's going to be hosted at the Etihad. City hosting United. Um, oddly enough, if you hear this stat, United's first, um, basically United's matchups against the top six opponents in the Premier League have been at Old Trafford. Uh, the first couple games, you know, hosting Chelsea, hosting Arsenal, hosting Liverpool, and hosting Tottenham. Finally, they now get a chance to go travel to uh, Manchester City at the Etihad. And they've had a pretty good run of form against the top six. It seems like the players come up for it and their style of play kind of favors playing a more playing a team that prefers to be on the front foot. Um, And I'm just going to go with this. Screw it. I'm a United fan. 2-1. Come on. (laughs) Oh, my. How I need that. 2-1 United. I need that. (laughs) As a Liverpool fan, I need United to win. Unfortunately, <laughs> though, I think Manchester City being this is such a big game for City in the title race. This is going to be a fun one to watch. This is going to be a definitely fun game to watch. Like a very young United team that don't really know how they're really going to go into this team or go into this game. They're most likely going to go gung-ho and try to just get as many goals as they can. They're not going to be a team that sits back. I don't think Solskjaer is going to do that. In this game, I think he's going to let passions just run through. So I don't know. You might see a red card. That'll be that's what that's <laughs> going to be a passion right hey, there. Delaney doesn't play for United anymore. <laughs> oh my! But honestly, I think with City struggling with defense, they're going to have to really put the front foot down in terms of scoring goals. And Gabriel Jesus, he did catch some fire last game against Burnley. Mm. Rod Reese scored banger. Mm-hmm. And also. Kevin De Bruyne, yeah, in the He's previous a, game against Newcastle, had a rocket, a rocket of a volley from the outside of the box. Hey, but, I'm not saying I'm saying it's. It, it, I'm just kind of pull, pulling off the United win off just pure love of the team and passion. Um, but you know, you never know. We saw with Tottenham, you know, if Manchester United come out firing and Rashford, you know, is on his day and just just goes for the shot and just keeps on shooting and attacks this very vulnerable. City defense because we've seen they've given up two goals to Newcastle, one goal to Burnley. They are very susceptible, susceptible to conceding a lot of goals, and Marcus Rashford could make them pay. That's true. So this scoreline that I'm gonna say is something I hope happens <laughs> rather oh, than man. what I see happening. But I don't know. I just have one of those suspicions where it could be a high scoring game. Because, like, you know, there were times when you would see this matchup and you see City win 6-1 and yeah. something like that. So it wouldn't be completely crazy to see that again. But for me, I don't know why, but I just see this as a 4-2 to City. Jeez. Mm-hmm. 
man. 4-2, like City score four and then United score two consolation. I think it'll be back and forth and then City just get that last goal. So it'll be like 1-0, one, 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 two, one, two, two, three, two, three, three, and then... That would be fun. You know, yeah. it, it's funny because when Jose Mourinho was here, the Manchester Derby's kind of, you know, got a little dull. But every time the Manchester Derby comes on, I feel like it's just... It's just so fun to watch. I, I always find it so fascinating to watch because it's just, you know, both teams don't like each other. I mean, it's just a Derby game. I mean, everyone loves Derby games. They're the best to watch. Um, but, I mean, you got a 4-2 City win. I got a 2-1 United win. I'm going to roll with United here. But that kind of does it for us for episode 54. Thank you guys so much for listening. Please make sure to rate, comment, subscribe. Tell us what you like, what you don't like. We want to thank everyone um, for listening to us. Um, and yeah, that kind of does it for us for this episode. Thank you guys so much. Peace. Peace. Peace.